A few days ago, I decided that the topic for tonight would be renunciation. And after I decided that, I started you know, contemplating for myself what had renunciation meant in my life and what place does it uh, take. And then as I did that, I started listening to people in the community to just get a sense. Um, I felt like a secret detective in doing this. It wasn't like I went around uh, interviewing people about what renunciation meant in their lives. But I started listening to what people were talking about from the perspective, does renunciation play some part here? And as I listened, so many of the stories were about letting go or people talking about what they thought they needed to let go of, or talking about the fear of letting go, a sense of loss in letting go, a lightness in letting go, the adventure of letting go. And as letting go is so uh, much a part of renunciation, it just, to me, highlighted how this subject, this topic, really cuts right into what we're doing here as we practice, as we sit with whatever aspiration we have to wake up in our lives, to be present, to see things as they are, that this aspect of renunciation is central. I just had the sense of, it's almost like there's no choice. If we really want to create the conditions in our lives to be able to see clearly. It, you know, it, it's evident to me, a, a, an aspect of renunciation can be that of simplicity. How it uh, can help us to simplify in our lives. And just from the place of seeing clearly, you know, I had this image of we're going on a trip somewhere and we load up the car with so much stuff we can't see where we're going. And that's so often the case of how we live our lives, that there are so many things, events uh, in the outer world And then in the inner world, we're carrying loaded baggage of memories, stories, um, fantasies of the future, ideas, views. And it's like, no wonder we can't hear the voice of wisdom. You know, the car is just so full. And so this aspect of renunciation in helping us to see clearly helps us to begin to simplify, to really see what we need to bring in the car, and what's extra. Renunciation also offers to us a training in letting go. And, you know, we we see as we sit here how essential letting go is because we really begin to feel the burn of hanging on. And so... Renunciation can be a form of picking simple things in our life and practicing with not picking them up. You know, we can do that in the realm of sense desire, where maybe, you know, you could do simple things like not eating chocolate for a period of time, 
um, not doing something that we ordinarily really like to do. And just to, you know, it's not because it's morally wrong to do it, but it's as a training of the mind in not having to pick up every craving that comes through. And so we just practice what it is to say no. Uh, And, you know, certainly around food, that's been a great exploration because, you know, food addictions can be very strong. The compulsion to eat, to to fill one's experience, their sense of fulfillment through what one is taking into the mouth. Um, and so just to watch, you know, even just as I was having dinner, no, was having a cup of tea, I'd had a few crackers before I had a cup of tea. And then I was sipping on the tea and I remembered the crackers. They were really good. And I actually got up, I went and I had a few more crackers and I sat down, a few more sips of tea and oh, that was really good. Maybe I should do it again. And then it was like, no way, you're not having any more crackers right now, at least until you finished your cup of tea. A few more sips later, again. It was, I was almost up before I knew it. And I went, wait, hold it. Wait on a minute. We're going to look at this. And then it was just the opportunity right there to look at desire and not having to act upon it, not condemning it because it's arisen, but taking the opportunity to look into desire in that moment. And sure enough, I finished my cup of tea and I didn't have any more desire for these crackers. But it, you know, it's a way of um, really just working with this beast of desire and grasping. And I wholeheartedly call it a beast because the force of it is so strong. You know, ah, and sometimes we are just at a loss with it. And that, that can really be the time. You know, we try all our little remedies, but to just really look into the face of it. What is going on here? And so, you know, with renunciation, it's like we're just giving a, a little bit of a framework to what is such a strong force in our lives. And so often moves us in unhealthy ways. So it's like just that frame, that frame in which we can work within it. We also find that renunciation actually becomes a deep expression of the way things are that uh, this is really expressed through a teaching from Suzuki Roshi, who was a very wonderful Zen master that uh, lived not so long ago. He said, renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but accepting that they go away. And this was something that I had heard from people over the last few days. It's like just really working with that aspect that things fall away. Things go away. Things that we've come deeply to rely on in our lives, which can be something like having a healthy body and mind. And then in the aging process, what was reliable is no longer so reliable. 
And many of us, you know, uh, there's many aging people in this community. Many of us are facing it in some way. And this, when we're really in that place of renunciation, there's this deep acceptance that this is the way of things. This is the way things are. On the deepest level of renunciation, we find that we can give up or relinquish this false sense of self that causes us so much distress in our lives. You know, the sense that there is this I, me, mine that is unchanging, that is who all this experience is happening to, that is this entity that isn't as it appears to be. And it's the the great relinquishment, the great renunciation, when wisdom is strong and sees this and puts down the burden of this false sense of self. So through this, we find that renunciation slants the mind towards liberation through practice of restraint, of looking into craving, uh, helping us to understand the cause of suffering. And then that renunciation, when it's really um, fully realized, becomes the place out of which one lives their life with that understanding that everything passes, nothing can be clung to, and that this is the place of freedom. Many of us have ideas of renunciation which may have come through our own efforts in practicing renunciation, where we get very tight, rigid, stoic, um, and it becomes very painful. Where we are holding renunciation in a harsh way. And it can create, you know, just another sense of self. I know I, for one, have at times in my uh, retreat days, been very proud when I might undertake the eight precepts. And, you know, there is somebody who is doing these eight precepts. And look at me, how good I am. Or we start holding them in a moral way. And, you know, look at me, what I'm doing, and you're not doing it. And, you know, it just creates separation, division. Uh, It's unhealthy. And for me, it's been, you know, as we practice, actually finding that there is a joy in renunciation. Because essentially, all we're really doing is letting go of that which is extra, that which gets in our way, and just allowing the mind to be with that which is. But it can be a hard sell to talk about renunciation. You know, that we can be uh, 
like that little baby that's got a security blanket. And that's what it's finding security in. And you go and try and take that blanket away from the child who has found security there. And it's terrifying. And so we have ways that we found to try to find security in this quickly changing world. And you know, one of those ways is through finding some sense of comfort in the world of sense pleasure. No, it's hard to be a human being. Let me have my ice cream. You know? <laughs> it's like it's, it's enough already. And so, you know, that's, we know little ways for moments of pacifying that. And, you know, at times, have the ice cream, please. It's okay. You know, um, but, you know, when we know that as our way of comfort, and somebody says, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You know, I just get an image of the Buddhist looking at us and go, whoa, these people, they, you know, they're heading down a path that's really going to hurt. But you know, how to tell us that what we're doing, the way we're finding security, is not helpful. And so it, you know, it can take experimentation to see that. To see that actually, if we let go of that you know, superficial sense of finding fulfillment, that we can actually find a happiness that is much more sustaining. But we have to be willing to, you know, in that baby holding the blanket, willing to put that down a bit. And then we start to see for ourselves. You know, one instance that we could all know very well is we're lost in some drama in our minds as we're sitting on the cushion. You know, just really in, you know, reliving anger, something that happened, really lost in it. And then we have a moment of wisdom that says, just put it down. And in that moment, just that relinquishment, that letting go. And it's like, whoa, look at the difference. Look at one moment of putting the burden down. And, you know, if we can, in our lives, start to practice moments where we put the burden down, we feel the cooling of the mind that transpires, that becomes inspiration. No, and it really calls us to look at the way we live our lives and see what's extra. See, you know, what is it? What is all this clutter that we're living in this state of confusion? Is it really something that's needed? Can we just put it down? Let it go. Let it be. And doing so, you know, not through a harshness or a brutality or the voice of I should, but because it's kindness, because it's compassion, because it's the wise response to life. And it's like we get a taste of renunciation, the power, you know, just being here on retreat in a simple environment. We start to feel what that's like. It becomes easier to see in our lives the usefulness. 
But if we do struggle with the very idea of renunciation, to know that you're not alone. There's many people who have struggled with renunciation, people in the time of the Buddha, people like the Buddha before he was a Buddha. I'd like to share a story that I just have loved um, that comes from the suttas. So one day, a householder named Tapusa went to the venerable Ananda, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, he sat to one side. And as he was sitting there, he expressed to Ananda the difficulties he was having with renunciation and how it seemed contrary to worldly life. Ananda responded, This calls for a talk, householder. Let's go to the Blessed One. Let's approach him and on arrival tell him this matter. However he explains it to us, we will bear it in mind. So they went to the Blessed One and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As Ananda was sitting there, he said to the Blessed One, Tapusa, the householder here, has said to me, Venerable Ananda, sir, we are householders who indulge in sensuality, delight in sensuality, enjoy sensuality, rejoice in sensuality. For us, indulging in sensuality, delighting in sensuality, enjoying sensuality, rejoicing in sensuality, renunciation seems like a sheer drop-off. Yet... I have heard that in this doctrine and discipline, the hearts of the very young monks leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. So right here is where this doctrine and discipline is contrary to the great mass of people, this um, issue of renunciation. And so the Buddha responded, So it is, Ananda, so it is. Even I, myself, before my awakening, when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva, thought, renunciation is good, seclusion is good, but my heart didn't leap up at renunciation, didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause What is the reason why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace? And then the thought occurred to me, I haven't seen the drawbacks of sense pleasures. I haven't pursued that theme. I haven't understood the reward of renunciation. I haven't familiarized myself with it. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. Then the thought occurred to me, if having seen the drawback of sense pleasures, I were to pursue that theme, and if having understood the reward of renunciation, I would, were to familiarize myself with it, there's the possibility that my heart would leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast and firm, seeing it as peace. So, at a later time, having seen the drawback of sense pleasures, 
I pursued that theme. Having understood the reward of renunciation, I familiarized myself with it. My heart leapt up at renunciation, grew confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. There's really a lot in that teaching. You know, just to know the Buddha faced the same challenge. These deeply ingrained habits of following sense pleasure, grasping, clinging. And then he turned that into what he meditated upon, coming to understand, seeing this force of desire on a deeper level. Now, when we look into desire and aren't so enchanted with the object of desire, we really get in touch with the unsatisfactoriness from which the desire is arising, from wanting, needing something else to feel whole. We break that spell of enchantment, that lure that is there, and explore the drawbacks. You know, we begin to feel the agitation of desire, the uncomfortableness of desire. We begin to see how fleeting the sense of fulfillment is with desire how you know, we get what we want and you know, there's a moment of satisfaction and it's gone. A new desire. Having to, you know, the mind is agitated all over again, seeking that fulfillment. We begin to see that the, how when we're caught in desire, we lose perspective. We are going for what we want, not taking into account what's around us, the impact it has on others, the impact it has on the world at large. We probably all have touched in our lives just how dissatisfying it is in the times where we have really been caught by thinking we can get what we want. And if we get everything we want, then we'll be happy. And just how exhausting that is. Now, I I know in my own life when I was young and I'd left home, the, the doorway into just... Setting up a very pleasant life was what I followed. You know, I loved nature. I loved the outdoors. I, you know, built a cabin in the outdoors. I worked in the outdoors. You know, I had wonderful friends. And then I started really getting into meditation. And suddenly I started seeing all the energy it was taking to try to sustain this good life. And how it had me turning my back on the cries of suffering in the world. You know, it was like having to live in this little tiny bubble saying, yep, everything's okay. 
And, you know, as soon as you step outside of the bubble, that was challenged. And so, you know, we begin to see that, that, that setting up life by way of fulfilling pleasure is not satisfying. You know, and it's evident in our culture. We look to many people who have everything that money can buy. And, you know, many times we can see they're no happier. No, it just, it isn't leading to that deeper level of fulfillment. And yet, you know, the mind gets tricked into it over and over and over again. Just, oh, if I can just get this, oh, this, oh, you know. It just, it's so encoded in the system. And so, you know, on retreat, just watching that force as it comes. Watching how it can, in a split second, move us. I remember on one retreat, you know, just sitting really quite peacefully, a lot of ease, and then some food fantasy, I don't remember the exact fantasy now, popped into the mind. I was up and out of that hall in a split second. You know, it just grasped at it. Once I had an image of rice appear in my mind, and I chomped at it. You know? And it, you know, to hold it lightly in the scene, just the scene how you know it can feel like wanting, 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 wanting. It can happen through, you know, when experiences get so pleasant in our practice. Uh, you know, things are just lovely, light, fluid. Um, I remember, you know, at times we, we just felt like poof, the Dharma unfolding, and, you know, just uh, hmm, this great ease. And then, you know, I, I would somehow get excited about telling my teacher about it. And then I'd go in and I'd tell him, and, you know, expecting him to say, oh, very, very good. And then he'd just simply say, and then what happened? No, but I, I know I'd failed to see I had become enticed by these experiences. That there was a clinging to, you know, subtle states of peace, calm, tranquility. They become very pleasant experiences. So on a retreat here, exploring the drawbacks of sense pleasure. And you can't do that if you cut yourself off from the experience. So I'm not in that saying that, suggesting that we follow through and and just go for desire. But to see, you know, if we're caught in desire, if we actually go for what the mind wants, what the ramifications are. 
what it feels like, what the mind is left like, how long the fulfillment lasts. Certainly, on retreat, we can also look into the rewards of renunciation. And, you know, just as I mentioned in being here, there's a simplicity that's easily felt, known. We can see how that supports a unification of energy. That, you know, just simply because we don't have the radios, the TVs, the books, the people to chat to around us, the mind becomes less scattered. It's easier to collect. There's not so many forms of amusement. We find that within that comes a sense of relaxation. If we learn this here, it's something that we can bring into our lives. Just learning to live simply with what we need rather than what we want. And then, you know, that, that when we're not, I mean, you just look on the level of consumerism, the level of buying. So you get some desire that you then have to make the money to get. You have to put the energy into going to get it. Um, you have to get home, and then you have this thing in your life. And at some point, that thing deteriorates, and then you have to deal with getting rid of this thing in your life. I mean, it's a, it, there's a whole consuming energy around that. And then, so long as we're you know, kind of caught up in that, our energy isn't available for what's really of value in our lives. the reward of renunciation again, just the, the, the capacity to let go and the cooling of the mind from that fire, that burn of grasping. It's huge. A, another way of kind of coming into finding the joy of renunciation is looking at it as a way of seeing what really nurtures awakening and letting go of that which obstructs. Now, and that, that for me has been kind of a, a guiding principle in my life in making decisions. And you know, to just really begin to see, is this something extra? Is this just a way of, you know, doing something else that that creates this whole cycle of becoming? Or does this feel like it really nurtures some aspect of life and helps to support presence? We can find then that renunciation becomes more based in wisdom than aversion. True renunciation is not a state of deprivation, nor a place of grandizement. 
and you know this was the, you know it's it's watch how watching how the mind can slip in around renunciation and become this you know sense of self that just is another way of asserting itself which really leads to a brittleness and rigidity in the mind Lama Yeshe, who uh, was a, a very lovely Tibetan teacher, he said, uh, uh, renunciation is a wish to emerge from the repeated frustrations and disappointments of ordinary life. You know, that it, it really helps us to break these cycles that we have of looking for happiness where it simply cannot be found. It's a way of relinquishing forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. One way that the Buddha spoke about renunciation that I found or find really helpful is he used the word rest because the mind is not bound in greed, hatred, and delusion. The mind is at rest with renunciation. The rest of non-grasping. A friend of mine defined renunciation as the path of no strife. So renunciation is really tied to our deepest understanding of the Four Noble Truths. You know, understanding the cause of suffering in our lives and the relinquishment of, the abandonment, the cessation of that suffering. And so renunciation can take on a much more joyous overtone when we think of relinquishing the hindrances, we think of relinquishing suffering, we think of relinquishing that which binds us. So there's three levels that we can work with renunciation. We can work with it on the outer level, the level of sense desires, objects, goods, life of simplicity. We can work with it on the inner level, the abandoning of unwholesome mind states, of of anger, fear, uh, rage, of not holding on to the pleasant the calm, the peace, the tranquility. And then the third level of renunciation is on the ultimate or innermost level, and that is the relinquishment of the small, separate self. So just to speak a little bit about each of these levels, the first level, the outer level. The Buddha really uh, began a lineage of renunciation, you know, that it's been central in uh, the way that these teachings have come to us, that many, many people have entered into the homeless life, that many people have ordained, taken on robes, and that that has been a key aspect. And it points to the importance of renunciation. And it isn't 
going to be that it, and it wasn't that it only works for the ordained sangha because the the buddha had many lay followers who followed these teachings these practices but it does say something about the importance of relinquishment and i think it's for each of us in our own lives to look and to see what it is that's extra what it is that can be let go of and we can't you know we can't judge others for what they seem to be hanging on to because we don't know what's happening in their minds we don't you know we just have no way of knowing and so it has to be our own inner exploration to see what it is that's extra right now so that we aren't doing this by way of force by way of saying you should be able to let go of everything right here right now that's just full of agenda full of ideas and instead just keeping it simple what for me is extra you know looking at it in the context of the retreat it may be that we follow the eight precepts the last three precepts are really around renunciation giving support to just playing with the idea of living with less maybe for health reasons we can't do that that's okay look and see what it is in your day that you might be doing that's extra you know i've seen at times it's it's funny little things like it can be you know for me it was little chores in my room you know i could just get caught up in getting everything just so in the room and it was just it was like giving the mind another activity to do one time i was in burma and i this is when i had ordained as a nun um i was so i had eight precepts uh really trying to uphold the precepts and living quite a simple life and one day i found myself reading a buddhist dictionary from cover to cover and you know it's not like it's an unwholesome you know sexual novel <laughs> wasn't anything like that but i could see clearly the motivation was wanting entertainment and so that was the only thing that was there <laughs> so that's what i did <laughs> i look in your day and just see where where are you just looking for a hit and doing it without judgment and and just seeing what you do with it you know that's the exploration in the outer world here we've given up a lot in being here you know we've left family friends we come into an environment we don't have control over the temperature we don't have control over the food we eat we don't have control over who sits next to us we don't have control over how they breathe we don't have control over how they walk and you know with that loss of control it can bring up a lot you know so that's another level of this exploration to see what can be under some of these habits to see whoa fear 
loss of control. It's scary. And, you know, and here we sit. We don't have that control. Just being with what comes without then trying to get the control going after. You know, because it's reasonably warm here. Sometimes we might, you know, we all have different bodies, work in different ways. We might need extra blankets, coats, you know, whatever. Um, You know, sometimes we have to ask for something that, because our body's a bit different. But, you know, just feeling in moving into that environment where, you know, we don't have that same sense of control. What happens? You know, this is, again, a way that we explore where we've been trying to get a sense of security where there isn't. You know, it's not turning the mind in the right direction. But to acknowledge, too, that in being here, we have let go of a lot. And this is, you know, very much in line with the the Buddha leaving the homeless life, our undertaking in coming here, I mean, the conditions are a little bit different than being out in the middle of the woods with the blazing sun or, you know, the the endless rain. Yeah, we've got different conditions here. But still, we have let go of a lot in being here. And then seeing, can we relinquish our desire for control? So in the outer world, we can practice with restraint, but watching where it moves into suppression, trying to push down where, where the mind is just open, curious, and exploring. This is where we can really come to see something. Exploring life, living with less. And we just have so many ideas of how much we need. And then, you know, we've all had situations where we don't have all of the things that we think we need. And then it's like discovering, oh yeah, it's really okay. I am okay right here. It's great, it's freeing, you know, to know we don't need so much as we think we do. On the inner level, we can practice with letting go of you know, just some of our favorite tunes. And they can be in the realm of pleasant or they can be in the realm of suffering. Just to see when you know, the, the favorite replaying tape comes through. Can you just say, hmm, okay, I don't need to pick this up. Just let it be. This can be an act of renunciation. When aversion comes by and we don't pick up the story. Oh my God, I'm such an aversive person. Look at this. Look how awful I am. And, you know, I'm just filled with all this anger and hatred. We just don't pick it up. Relinquishment. Letting go. When peace comes through, and we don't cling to it. 
we just let it be. It comes and it goes. We aren't left grasping. And if we, through this, begin to see how impersonal all of these states are, how impermanent all of these states are, it will lead us right into the third level of renunciation, letting go of this deeply held sense of self, seeing that We too, this sense of self is just conditioned experience, is the mind attaching to or becoming experiences. I'd like to share a teaching from Ajahn Buddhadasa, a very wonderful Thai master. He says, we are giving back to nature the things we have falsely appropriated from it. This mind, these feelings, this body, the breath itself. They do not really belong to us. When we see that, instead of feeling deprived of something we thought was ours, we feel a great freedom, the liberation that the Buddha promised. we find that we're just giving back which what never really belonged to us. This false sense of self. And this is where, you know, in moments, we taste of putting down the burden, this burden of self, relinquishing, letting go, giving back, that which never really belonged to us. And this is renunciation. A few years ago, I was at a meeting with two of my teachers, and it was great because it was the uh, Tibetan Vajrayana world meets the Theravada world. And so uh, my Vajrayana teacher, Mingyur Rinpoche, was meeting a current um, Theravada teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya. And we were just, they were asking questions of each other, and then there came a point where we could ask questions. And so one question was asked of of Mingyur Rinpoche. And, you know, he's come to the West, he he was a, uh, you know, trained from a very early age as a monk and spent years in retreat from being a young child. Uh, he went into three-year retreat at the age of 13, I think, and, you know, uh, spent a lot of time in the retreat setting um, and then began coming to the West. And so at this point, he'd been coming to the West for a number of years, talking to a number of Westerners. And so someone asked him, what 
did he think was the biggest obstacle that Westerners were facing? And he said very simply that it was the lack of willingness around renunciation. You know, that we, we want it all. And we don't want to let go. And that gets in our own way. That is where we get tied up, bound. But we've got to see it for ourselves. And we've really got to give it enough room to explore, to understand for ourselves what benefit is possible. What are the rewards? So we find in our lives that at times we need to actively work with restraint, work with the drawback of sense pleasure, and sometimes we see renunciation is present with wisdom. You know, in those moments where we know there's no point in hanging on. And that can often happen in dramatic moments when life is strong, speaking to us. And it's said that the proximate cause for renunciation is spiritual urgency. So it makes sense that, you know, when we have a sense of what's important in our life, it becomes easier to let go. Uh, My husband's, (coughs) excuse me, mother, (coughs) excuse me, was once packing up, uh, moving out of her home of 50 years. And my husband went to visit and to help to disperse of all of these various belongings. And, you know, he saw his mother, you know, taking out to the garage, they're going to have a sale, you know, just getting rid of all of these things. And she shared with him that each thing in her home had some meaning, some value. And he said to her, you know, he asked her how it was for her to be letting go of all of this, things that so um, highlighted what her life had been about. And she had one of those moments of wisdom where she just looked at him and said, now is not the time to hang on. I just found it a very touching story. And I think it comes back to me right now as I'm going through my own things, looking to what to let go of. So letting renunciation be an exploration and, you know, even entertain the possibility it could be a joyful exploration, that it doesn't have to be so hard 
rigid, tight, that you know, this is really a way of exploring the cause of suffering in our lives. I'd like to close tonight with a teaching from another Tibetan teacher named Tuku Urjan Rinpoche. He says, Renunciation is the sign of true accomplishment, blessing, and realization. Renunciation means to understand that time is running out and everything passes. In other words, it is a natural disenchantment with samsaric attainments and any samsaric state. Through the exploration, it's really a disenchantment with that which will not bring us true and lasting happiness. Not pursuing happiness in ways that are futile, our energy becomes unified, the mind states, finds that state of rest and the peace of non-grasping. So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.